Thank you so much for checking out our podcast. We hope today's message encourages, inspires, and empowers you to follow after Jesus like never before. Before we get into today's teaching, I want to invite you to join us live at one of our services at any of our three campuses in West Virginia, or join us as we stream live online. For more information or to save your seat at one of our services, visit our website, iheartchurch.online. Now let's check out today's message. And so if you have your Bible, open up to Mark chapter 12. We're going to start Mark chapter 12, and then we're going to go look through some other passages, and then we're going to come back to Mark chapter 12. And so if you have your Bible and you're going to turn through some of these passages, just kind of put a placeholder in Mark 12 because we're going to come back to it again. But in this series, we've been looking at a lot of the final words of Jesus and in the last week or so of his life, of different teachings and things that he's taught. And today we're going to start out with some of his final words, and then we're going to go back and look at some uh, context and things, and then we're going to come right back uh, to wrap up with some more of his uh, final words uh, today. And so Mark chapter 12, we're going to start at verse 13. The the Pharisees had come and and uh, they they came with the Herodians because they were going to try to trap Jesus. And I think this is kind of humorous because the the Pharisees were kind of the religious elite of the day, and the Herodians were ungodly pagans and and served false gods and and all of this. And so I think it's interesting that here the Pharisees are teaming up with with worldly ungodly people to try to trap Jesus and to try to trip him up in his teachings. And it says, they came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are true, and that you do not, uh, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but you truly teach the way of God. Now, I, I just want to kind of interject this. If they truly believed that he taught the way of God, why didn't they follow him? Like they're, they're really just trying to set a thing here. They're trying to make themselves look good in front of the crowd. We're going to give a little false honor to him and, and, and all of this. And, and, they're, and they're trying to even, even come like, we're for you, Jesus. Like, we're with you, Jesus. We, we believe that you're the one true teacher. And then they ask the question, and, and they say, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or not? Or, or should we not? But Jesus, knowing their hypocrisy, so he sees right through the, the, the things that they, they said. He, he's not really looking at their words. He's looking at their heart and realizing what they're trying to do. And he says, why do you put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and, look, uh, and, and let me look at it. So they brought him one. And he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And so if you have your Bible, I want you to underline that phrase. If you're taking notes, I want you to write down that phrase because we're going to come back to it at the end of the, the sermon. It says, and then they said to him, Caesar's. And then Jesus said, well, render under Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And, and, and so here Jesus uh, they're, they're trying to set him up, and they're, they're asking him a question that really they think no matter what he says, it's, it's going to be uh, a bad deal. Uh, it, it, it's kind of like, the, you know how a lot of times reporters will try to word a question to try to trip somebody up. So they, they may be like, you know, hey, Chris, uh, do you still beat your wife? Now, 
Think about this. If you're asked the question, do you still beat your wife, and you say no, then it, at one time, you're going to be like, well, then you used to beat your wife, right? Even if you never beat your wife before, and I'm not saying that Chris is a wife beater, okay? We have done no marriage counseling in that way. I picked him because nobody would think that he would do it, okay? But if he said Yes, then he's in trouble for that too. It's, it's called a binary question. It's a, it's a question that no matter what you say, you're going to get in trouble with somebody. And so they know that the, the, the people that are following Jesus, uh, are, they don't like the Roman uh, oppression. They don't like the big government. They know that they don't like being taxed. They, they feel like they're unfairly taxed. One of the least favorite people that there were were tax collectors. That's, that's why they had such a problem with Jesus, uh, with Matthew being a part of his team and him spending time with Zacchaeus and things. It's because they did not like tax collectors. And so they, they think that these people will get mad and they're going to turn on Jesus if they say, yes, we got you pay taxes. But then on the other hand, the religious people who did believe in him will turn on him if, if he, it, like, it, it's kind of a lose-lose situation, okay? And so Jesus, when he answers the question, he doesn't answer it directly like, yes, pay your taxes, but he did answer it. He said, render under Caesar what is Caesar's. So in other words, whose inscription's on his coin? If it's Caesar's coin and Caesar wants his coin back, then give it to Caesar. But then he says this other phrase, render under God, unto God what is God's. Now, a lot of times we, we don't understand what he means there, but the Pharisees fully understood what he meant by that, what was God's. And so we're going to go back because remember the Pharisees and Sadducees, they were teachers of the law. So they understood all the, the, the Old Testament and everything. When he said what is God's, there was no question in the mind what he said because they, it's part of their teaching and everything that they grew up on. So we're going to go back and look at Leviticus real quick. And, and we're going to see what it says is God's. In Leviticus chapter 26, uh, chapter 27, verse 26, it says, The firstborn of animals, which as a firstborn belongs to the Lord, no man uh, may dedicate, whether it is an ox or a sheep, because it is the Lord's. And so one of the first things that he establishes is that if you're a shepherd, the firstborn uh, of the sheep is the Lord's. The, the first that comes is God's. In, in verse 30, he continues in this, uh, in this, and it says, Every tithe of the land... A tithe simply means a tenth. And so those words are interchangeable. And in fact, in one of these verses, they will kind of interchange them. Every tenth of the, every tithe of the land, whether it is of seed or the fruit of the trees, it's the Lord's and it is holy to the Lord's. Or it means it is set apart for the Lord. And so the tithe. Now, in, in these days, farmers would have had seed or, or, you know, fruit of the vine or things. So shepherds, he's saying the first of your flocks, that's the Lord's. To the, the farmers, he's saying the first of your seed, the first of your fruits, the first tenth of it, that's the Lord's. He goes on in verse 32, and it says every uh, tithe of the herds and flocks, every tenth of, of, of the animal that passes under the herdsman's staff shall be uh, holy to the Lord or shall be set apart for the Lord's. And so basically what he is establishing when he says, render under God, unto God what is God's, one of the things that he's teaching these people who know this law is, he's talking about the tithe here. 
So it's not just a, a thing that has been outdated because of the law. Because a lot of people will instantly begin to say, well, Pastor Brandon, you know, the tithe was under the law, and we're not under the law anymore. But let me ask you this question. Do you think you should kill people? Well, that's law. Do you think you should commit adultery? Well, that's law. Do you think you should lie and sow discord? Well, that's law. You see what I'm saying? Like there are parts of the law, and Jesus even said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. And, but, but here's the thing I want to show you. Even beyond that, tithing took place in Scripture before the law was ever established. Genesis chapter 14, this one's not going up, but you can read it. Abraham, uh, he goes and he rescues his nephew Lot from these kings who had taken him and his family hostage. He goes in and not only does he bring back Lot, but he brings back spoils uh, from the thing. As he's on his way home, he builds an altar. He encounters a man named Melchizedek and it says that he took a tenth of all the spoils and he gave them to Melchizedek. Now Melchizedek... The, the name Melchizedek means Prince of Salem or Prince of Peace. If you get into Hebrews and you begin to read about Melchizedek, it says that, that, that this priest had no beginning and had no end. And that this priest was a priest who was going to be forever and, and also labels him a Prince of Peace there. Who is this a representation of? This is Jesus. He even talks about uh, the greater person is the one who blesses the other. So if Abraham, who was the one that God had set apart as being the, the, the blessed father of many nations and stuff, sees this man as more important and even begins to, to worship him by offering a tithe. Listen, tithe had nothing to do with law. Tithe was, ev tithe was everything to do with worship. It was realizing that everything that I have and every blessing and increase that I have, it came from God. And so I'm going to return and I'm going to honor him with that. Even in, in farther back in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 4 with Cain and Abel, in Genesis chapter 4 verse 3, it says, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering. I want you to underline those words real quick, kind of make note of it there. He brought an offering uh, of the fruit of the ground, and Abel brought the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. Now, one of them brings just some of the fruit, and it doesn't say how much. It doesn't say anything like that, but it says and. It, it wasn't the first. The other one brings the firstborn. Abel is literally tithing before the tithe was ever established. And he did it to offer it to the Lord. Verse 4, uh, the second part of verse 4 says, And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he did not regard it. And so Cain became angry and his face fell. And the Lord said to him, Why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? So he's basically, Cain is, is frustrated because Abel's offering was received. And, and God's just saying, if you would do the same thing, he, he's saying it's a well thing, it's a good thing. If you would do the same thing, then you would be blessed and, and received uh, as well. But he says, but if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. And its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. 
Now, anybody who knows the rest of the story realizes that Cain didn't rule over the sin that was crouching at his door. In fact, Cain kills his brother Abel because of jealousy and things that were in his heart. Cain became so jealous because God, they, they saw, he saw God's blessing and favor on Abel that he was moved to the point of where he was willing to kill him because sin was crouching at his door. Now it shows us, and it's the same thing in the world today, like sometimes when you see people that are blessed or churches that are blessed or, or, or things like that, there's, there's this frustration, there's this envy, there's this jealousy and stuff that sometimes takes place. And it's the same thing, like God tells us that if we do the right thing when it comes to our resources, our finances and stuff, then it will go well with us too. In Malachi, it's toward the end of the, the New Testament, uh, there's, there's, they're bringing offerings and things like that uh, to the governor or, or to, to uh, the, the church. And, and, and God is, is, is rebuking them through the prophet Malachi because they're, they're bringing the lambs. They're not bringing the firstborn. They're bringing like the, the, the broken lambs. They're bringing the, the ones that are disformed and, and all that. And just bringing whatever that they have into the house of God versus bringing the tenth. And, and Malachi says this in Malachi 3, verse 8, Will a man rob God, but you are robbing me? But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. And because you've robbed me, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Now, I, I want to establish something here because this is very important. If, if we view everything that we own as ours, then if we're these shepherds, we're like, I should be able to bring whatever sheep, whatever lamb, whatever, uh, you know, that I want to God, and it should be fine. It was mine anyway. The fact that I brought anything was an offering, right? If, if we view it through that lens. But if we view it through the lens of understanding that every firstborn was God, and every first tenth was God's, then we realize that it was never ours anyway. Like, so many times we say, well, we got to pay our tithes. No, you don't pay your tithes, you return your tithes. Because your tithes weren't yours to begin with, it was God's. It would be kind of like if Pastor Q takes me to the airport and like he, his vehicle needs to go to the shop to get some stuff fixed. and So he knows I'm getting ready to go out of town. And, and so he's like, hey, I'll drive you to the airport. Do you mind if I use your vehicle while you're gone and I'll come pick you up from the airport? And I'm like, yeah, no problem. So I, we drive up to the airport. He drops me off. I go on my trip. He comes back to pick me up. And he's like, oh, Pastor Brandon, I got a gift for you. Like, I got something awesome. Wait till you get outside and you see what I got. And then we walk outside, and he's like, ta-da. And I'm like, what? This truck. I'm giving you this truck. Um, Pastor Q, that's my truck. You were just borrowing my truck. I just gave you stewardship over my truck while I was gone. I didn't deed it over to you as being yours. You see what I'm saying? That's how it is with the tithe. The tithe was never ours. It's always been God's. And we're not paying it, we're returning it. We're bringing it back to the Lord so that, because that's God's way of keeping the church being able to do the ministry and things. He goes on and he says, bring the full tithe to me. 
uh, into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord, and see if I will not open up windows of heaven for you and pour down a blessing until there is no more need. So the blessing is in the obedience to restore to God's house what was his all along. He goes a step farther. Not only will you be blessed, he says, but I will rebuke the devourer for you so that, you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and, uh, or your vine in the field will not fail, uh, will fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. So uh, he, he's talking to them in their thing like, I'm, I'm going to make sure that your vines grow and that your your business this is their livelihood and stuff has what it needs and 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 it's not gonna it's not gonna fail uh, it says that he rebuked the devourer and then verse 12 says and then all of the nations will call you blessed and you will be a land of delight says the lord of hosts well when do the nations see the blessing when we've done what we've been told to re- receive the blessing when we've returned the tithe into the storehouse then he sees a blessing. And here's the other thing. That whole, I'll rebuke the devour off of your, your finances so that your, your, your seed, your, your uh, plants will bear fruit and, and the, the, the vines won't fell and all of that. That is, a, that is a blessing that God basically is saying. And if the enemy comes and tries to attack any of the rest, I've redeemed it. And I will fight him. This is one of those things, like, it, it, it's consistently in my house, at, at, there are certain seasons. I must be in one of those seasons right now. Because yesterday, I hear Zia, Dad, Dad, get down here. And I'm like, what? Hurry up, get down here. And I go downstairs, and in my daughter's bedroom, you can see water, like, buckling the sheetrock. And I'm just sitting here like, oh, Lord, what's going on? And then I hear my son yelling upstairs, Dad, Dad, get up here. And I go upstairs, and the toilet is running and overflowing, and that's dripping down into my daughter's bedroom. So I go in, I turn the water off, I start cleaning everything up. I go downstairs, I cut open the sheetrock, let it rain down all of this stuff into a a bucket and everything, and it finally dries out, and I think I'm good. Like, okay, the toilet overflowed. I fixed the, the, the little plunge, the thing in the, uh, I can't think of the, the float so that it would turn off. We're good. Until this morning, I'm getting ready. I'm up here, and it, it's like 20 minutes before church, 25 minutes before church. I'm kind of running through the sermon with the, with the team and everything. And all of a sudden, I, I start noticing on my watch that Melody's calling me. And I tell Zia, I was like, hey, see what she needs. And she's like, Brandon, it's raining in Shannon's room again. And it's worse than it was yesterday. And I'm like, the toilet isn't overflowing. There's no reason before we thought that was the sort Obviously, there's another source of water somewhere. And the first thought that I have is probably the first thought that you had, like you would be mad. Like, how much is this going to cost? Great. Wonderful. I thought it was going to be able to just be a little patch and repair some insulation and stuff. And now it's the whole ceiling and in the closet and leaking down on all this stuff. And, and, and you just start seeing dollar signs. All the men do, at least. Like, they start seeing cha-ching. 
That was my first thought. You know what my second thought was? God, you said that you would rebuke the devourer. And God, I bring my tithe into the storehouse. So I know you're going to take care of this. I'm going to go preach. And I know it's going to work out. I have watched time and time again, like around a rise, around Easter, every appliance in my house breaks. It never fails. I'm, I'm, I'm just telling you, it, it, it just always happens. And it, it, it never fails that I'll, I'll do the same thing and be like, God, you said that you would rebuke the devourer. He's trying to touch the resources. I have been faithful to tithe. And so, Father, you rebuke the devourer. And people would just show up at my house or people would be, call and be like, hey, I got this washer and dryer I'm getting rid of. You know, it was too small for us. We wanted something bigger. Do you want it? Yep. Hey, I'm, it, it, never, it never fails because God's word never fails. That's why he said, try me in this. Try me. You bring the tithe in. I'll rebuke the devourer. I'll bless you, and you just watch what I'll do in your life. But in that, he said, you rob me in your tithes and your offerings. Now, I want to talk about the difference in between tithe and offering. Tithe is something, that's the tenth that goes to the church. Offering is something that is above and beyond the tithe. An offering can look a lot of different ways. An offering can sponsor kids in Africa. An offering can sponsor missionaries. An offering could be, you know, a family that's struggling at Christmas or at Thanksgiving or, or you know, have a, has a sick kid and, and you're, you're given to help them out through a hard time or something like that. that. Those are things that we give offerings. Another thing that offerings can be are things that we use for expansion. And every year on this weekend... We take up a miracle offering since we've, we've had the church, and that's what helped us to be able to buy the land. That's what helped us to be able to build this building. It's what helped us to be able to start the Summersville campus. It's what helped us to be able to start the score, school. It's what helped us to, to uh, be able to, like, everything, expand things. Like, even one of them we just took up, and we gave it to all these different missions programs and, and uh, you know, places around the country and, and throughout the state, just helping them with building projects and things, and those were just offerings that we give. Last year, one of the things we took up uh, offering for was a, a building in Honduras, and there were some things that got held up because they had a roof leak in Honduras too and had to take off their whole roof and replace it and repair it. But we have some pictures of the thing that we're building, and this is the youth center that we're getting ready to build in Honduras. Uh, Michelle Farr's daughter and Spencer Farr's daughter, Micah, was, has been serving down there. That was kind of the plans for it. And this is the fence and everything where they built to prepare for it. And then actually on Thanksgiving Day, they sent me a little video of the excavation for them digging these footers and everything to go up. Probably by January, this will be built. We have a missionary coming in in February, and they're going to start tutoring and feeding kids in the middle of a jungle uh, in, in Honduras. That Because this church didn't just worry about ourselves, we sent offerings, we're able to see the kingdom expand. And God uses this type of thing all the time. Even when the first tabernacle was being built, he built it from an offering, not the, the, the time. In, in Exodus chapter 25, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel that they may take from me a contribution. From, from every man whose heart moves him to receive the contribution uh, for me. And so this is something that, that this year I felt like God's told me, like, don't do the miracle offering the way you normally do it this year. 
Because there's scriptures in 2 Corinthians who says that says that you shouldn't give under compulsion. And I believe sometimes when we do the miracle offering as we come and we bring that gift to the altar and stuff, there's people that are in the room who are like, I don't want to be the only person not giving. And so they give out of compulsion because they feel like they have to give. But this verse clearly says that in Corinthians it says as they have purposed in their heart. And here it says as God moves in their heart. And so I told the elders, I said, listen, this is what I feel like God's speaking to me. And, and we talked through it and everything. And, and they agreed, hey, we're not, we're not going to take up the miracle offering the way that we normally do. So what we are doing, I know some of y'all have asked, it, just when you give, you can market miracle offering. And it would go toward expansion and, and things that we're getting ready to do. Sophia building, safe haven, all of that. Or, you know, uh, if you give online, you can do the drop-down arrow, and you can click Miracle Offering, and that will do it. But it's not just one weekend. It's through, throughout the year. Like, any time, that's available. As God moves on your heart that I need to sow something into the kingdom and expansion, then you just go and you put it under that Miracle Offering, and then that will be money that we know this is for expansion. This is for uh, greater things in missions or, or whatever to be able to build the kingdom. But here's the awesome thing about this. Like he doesn't even just say we're going to take up contributions like of people's money. When he lists the things that they need, he says, and this would be the contribution that you will receive. You will receive gold and silver and bronze, but you will receive blue and purple scarlet yarns and fine linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, goat skins, and acacia wood. Now, let me just kind of interject this real quick. We have no need for any goat's hair or any of that stuff. They were building a tabernacle tent thing, and so all the goat skin and stuff was beneficial to them. If you have a need of distributing goat hair or goat skins to somebody, I'm sure you can Google it and find somebody who needs the goat skins. Okay? It says, but acacia wood and oil for lamps and spices for anointing oil and fragrant incenses and onyx stones and stones for setting for the ephod, for the breastplate, and, and, and to make me a sanctuary so that I may dwell in her midst. Like the whole purpose of the offering to come in was because God wanted to be among his people and God wanted to move among his people and dwell with his people. And so when we give tithe, that's what enables all the different projects and things that we do, the operations of the church and paying bills and personnel and, you know, all of that stuff. But when you give offerings is what allows things to expand farther. You know, one of the uh, cool things that we're doing is, you know, we were given the Sophia building last year. And uh, that, that upstairs, we really feel like that's something like the bottom floor is going to be amazing for Sophia and the surrounding areas. There's going to be people who are fed. There's going to be people who are discipled. It's going to be an amazing thing. But that upstairs is something that I'm super excited about because that takes the ministry and impact that we can make, not just locally, but to the nations. See, the upstairs, we're going to put it in two- and three-bedroom apartments and dorms and, and, and bunk rooms and things like that so that we can have a ministry training thing to be able to train, invest in, in missionaries and ministers and stuff to be able to send them to the nations. 
And we have a couple that's in our church that are getting ready to go in February. Addie and, and Kylie are, are getting ready to go to site. They were going to go to Lebanon, but everything broke out there. So they're going to go to Cyprus for a period of time to the place where we had connected in uh, with those missionaries there. They're going to be there and then potentially go from there to Lebanon uh, to be trained. But part of what they feel is that they're going to be a part of helping build and invest in those missionaries and train people that would go to the nations. From right here, or from a little town called Sofia, that will be able to impact the nations through that training. And that's part of the expansion things that we see God being able to do. But here's the amazing thing. So I talked with the elders and we made the decision we're not going to take the miracle offering. We're not going to do a big push for that and everything. Because I feel like we just really need to pray and ask God. And God will move on people's hearts. And, and so I had two phone calls in one day. And the first phone call came from a business owner who owns the land and stuff back here on the, the back part. Anything that has grass is, is ours up here on the hill. Anything that doesn't have grass is not ours yet. But it's land that we had kind of a, an agreement that we would purchase it at some point for a certain amount of money and, and that type of thing. And, and uh, so I get up one morning. It's like two days after we decide that we're not going to do this. And this guy has been, who keeps calling me. He's like, hey, are you ready to buy it yet? Hey, are you ready to buy it? Do you have money to buy it? What are you thinking? You know, because he's trying to get rid of the land and stuff. And, it, and he calls me up and he says, hey, God did something for me. I was able to sell some stuff. And so that land that's on the back property, I want to give it to you. Now, here's the even cooler part. It appraises at over a million dollars. That, that, like, even somebody had even told him at one point in time, you just need to give them that land, you know, and just kind of play it. And it was like, nah, I can sell it for this amount of money and, you know, that type of thing and, and everything. But once we decided we're just going to ask God to move on the hearts of people, then that was released. Same day, I go and I have lunch with another business owner. And we're just sitting and we're just kind of talking and stuff. And, and we're talking about safe haven and the land and everything that we're developing, which hopefully over the next week or so, if, if the logging company can get their equipment fixed, then they'll start clearing the land and preparing the way. Uh, but we were really just doing that like as a step of faith. We, we paid for uh, drawing pl civil engineer plans and different things just along the way to keep that moving along. Really didn't have the money to, to go farther with it. We already have three houses of lumber that have been donated and are just sitting waiting on that. So we're like, what's the next step we can take? We start taking it. And I go and I have lunch with, the, with this guy and we're just sitting there talking about a bunch of stuff. And, and he asked about Safe Haven and, and I kind of filled him in on where we were with Safe Haven. And he said, hey, just want you to know me and my wife have been praying about it and we're good for 500 and he wasn't talking 500 dollars said that first 500,000 in expenses for safe haven you let me know and we'll take care of it guys God wants to do great things but we have to understand that that's, they understand that God blessed them to be a blessing. That's what God told Abraham. I want to bless you. The whole windows of heaven to where you have a more than enough, that's so that you can give it to others. It's so that you can bless others. 
You know, in Acts chapter 2, this is what you see when the Spirit of God moved on their heart. This is verses that are on our wall and we've talked about with small groups and everything. But in Acts chapter 2, verse 44, it says, All who believed, they shared everything together. They had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and beginning to distribute the proceeds to anyone as they had need. Day by day, they attended the temple together, and they broke bread in their homes, and they received food uh, with gladness and, and gener- with glad and generous hearts. They just began to move. They just, when, when the Spirit of God came inside of them and moved upon them, the Spirit of God brings generosity. He, he sees the needs of others as more important. That's why he sent his son. He saw our need for a savior is more important than his need to be comfortable in heaven. And so he came. And some of y'all be like, I, I thought we were in red letters. Let's get back to the red letters, Pastor. Well, let's go back. Mark chapter 12, all this money talk. I don't know why we talk about money in church. You know why we talk about money in church? Because Jesus talked about money. Mark 12, he goes on and he says, you know, the, the Pharisees tried, the Sadducees came and tried. He tells them, don't, don't, don't be like the Pharisees, don't act like the Pharisees. And then I think this is very interesting. It says that Jesus and he, which is Jesus, sat down opposite of the treasury. And he watched people putting their money into the offering box. If we don't think God cares about this, why in the world did Jesus, in his last week of ministry, a couple days before he's going to go to the cross, go sit with his disciples and position himself right where that box was? Now, if you're a first-time guest, don't think that we talk about money all the time because we barely even talk about money. In fact, most of the time people have to come up and be like, how do we even give in money? How do we give money? Well, you can give on the app or you can give in those black boxes on the way out. So this isn't, we're not, we're not after your money. And you know what? God's not after your money either. He's after what's connected to your money. He's after the heart. And see, here are all these rich people. They came in and they gave their large sums. And then it says in verse 42, a little woman, a widow woman came in had two copper coins which made a penny and he called his disciples to them and he said, truly I say to you. Most translations, if you're King James, New King James, any of those types of things, it'll either say verily, verily or truly, truly. He's drawn emphasis to this. Truly I tell you, this poor widow woman has put in more money than all those contributing in the offering box. You see, there's so many times when the enemy will tell us there's I don't even have enough to give. Nothing that I give is even going to matter. And here this woman, her two coins that she had only added up to a penny. And Jesus sits back and he says, she gave more than any. For she can, all these others contributed out of their abundance. Verse 44. But she gave out of her poverty everything that she had. All that she had to live on. She gave sacrificially. Do you, do you think it didn't hurt? That, I mean, just think, if all she has is a penny, this woman isn't walking in complete financial abundance. But she loved God so much 
that the two coins that added up to a penny, it wasn't going on herself or something new for her. It was going to invest in the church and the kingdom to, as an offering to give to God. You know, as I read through this, why don't you hand me my Bible real quick. As I read through this, there's several passages that just kind of stood out, but as I was reading in some of these passages in my regular quiet time, I just looked back at that phrase. Render unto, unto Caesar's what is Caesar, and unto God's what is God's. And part of that is the tithe that we just talked about. But you know what the other thing is that God says is his in his word? Us. And can I tell you something, even more importantly than your money, God wants you in your heart. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is within you? You have been bought with a price. You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. He paid a price. He paid a high price. The life of his son in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says, You are a royal race. You are, uh, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. A people who are his own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into the marvelous light. He, he, he bought you. And he bought you with a purpose in mind. And the purpose in mind wasn't just so that we could sit and collect more and and and. and be blessed and, 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 you know, there's so much of the gospel that's all about, it's all about you and what you get from the kingdom and what God can give you. And, and I'm telling you, God does want his people blessed. He told Abraham, I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing. I bought you so that you can pull people out of darkness and into the marvelous light. I paid a price for you so that you can glorify God with your body. We're his. And just like Jesus held up the coin and he said, whose inscription is it? Whose picture is on this? He said, well, it's Caesar's picture. Whose inscription? Well, it's Caesar's. And give it to Caesar's. But give unto God what is God's. God paid a high price for you. But can I tell you something a step farther? Your, his image has been upon you as well. The same way that the coin bears Caesar's image, we bear the image of God. In, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says, let us make God in our image. In verse 27, it says, so God created man in his own image. He created them male and female. He created them. We bear the image of God. And then beyond that, he wants to inscribe his word upon our hearts. In Hebrews, when it talks about the old covenant and the new covenant, and this one isn't on the screen, but Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10, it says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declare the Lord, that I will put my laws in their minds, and I will write them 
on their hearts. Once inscribe it. And I will be their God, and they will be my people. He goes on and he talks about how he'll be merciful to us. And he won't hold our sin against us. See, here's the amazing thing at God. Sometimes we're so hard to release things that we see as ours, but God never asks us to do something that he hasn't already done. He's not going to ask you to tithe and give your firstborn if he hasn't done it. Jesus was God's tithe so that the rest would be redeemed. He sent his son. We bring our tithe, our tenth, and the 90% is redeemed and goes farther. God sent his son as the tithe so that all of those who would put their faith in Jesus would be redeemed and would have freedom and deliverance and, and blessing and be able to be brought into the kingdom of God. That's why he said in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. He didn't send his son to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus was God's tithe. He set the precedence, and he just asks us to follow. And when we follow, whatever we give, God will redeem the rest. I've watched it time and time in my life. I could give you story after story after story of how I've seen God move in this area. But like I said, this isn't something God wants us to be a lifestyle. We honor God with the tithe by returning it to him. But our hearts are always open that if we see somebody in need and there's an opportunity to bless them, if we see somebody or, or, or something that, that a missionary or somebody that we can sow into that's doing the work of the ministry, that we see that as, as our opportunity. I mean, in the book of Acts, they were so moved by God that they went and started selling all their stuff. And I'm not telling you to go sell all your stuff unless God tells you to sell some of your stuff. What I am telling you is that you are marked with God's image. His desire is that his word is inscribed in your heart so that you offer to God what is God's. And the decision is yours. Again, it's less about money more about your heart. God just knows that most of the time our heart is connected with our money. And he even said where your treasure is, your heart will be. You just think about this. You, you could care less about some company until you invested money in that company. And now all of a sudden you're worried about that company. You're invested in that company. Why? Because you put your money there so your heart followed. And it's the same thing when it comes to the kingdom of God when we trust God return the tithe give the offering as he moves in our heart our hearts will follow so many people are trying to make themselves do things and it, it comes down to a simple thing if their heart isn't leaning toward the kingdom their heart is leaning toward their kingdom and the alignment is to begin to bring that into the kingdom of God Begin to submit your time, your talent, your treasure before the, the king and let him move on it. And he'll line all those things up in your life.
Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. If you like what you're hearing, please rate and share. For more content, to connect with us, or if you'd like to support this ministry by giving, visit our website, iHeartChurch.online. We love you and have a great day.